0: Welcome to the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders Podcast, a.k.a. The Whip Show. Your co-hosts, Deshaun Whipdog Whipple and Devastating Daryl Pace, each and every week will bring in some of the top pro wrestlers from around the world. I'm talking WWE, WWE, WCW, Impact Wrestling, NWA, and more. So sit back, get your favorite drink, and listen to some great stories told by those amazing, and sometimes crazy, pro wrestling superstars. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders Podcast, a.k.a. The Whip Show. You know what it is. I am Deshaun Whip Whipdog Whipple, and I am here with my co host, Devastating Daryl Pace, once again here in the command center. Devastating Daryl Pace, keeping it nice and safe in the command center. You see, he's in a bunker, so you can't mess with him. Cause we got we got a we got a tough dude in the building today, but he can't go get him because he's in a bunker, man.
1: Yeah, and hey man, it's been a ton of news, man. So many things happening over the last few weeks. You know, we've been growing. So many things happen. In fact, we you know we've had so many fans out here. I need extra security, man. I need I need some help around here. Can can you help me with some extra security?
0: Help protect it, it uh, man. Only if we like to do a director of security somewhere. Oh wait a minute. Yes, we do. Cause we want to shout out. This man is an actor, and we're going to talk about some of his amazing acting roles. This man is an author of the new book, Getting Color, which is available on Amazon, Google Books, and all, wherever you can get your books at. And this man was the director of security for World Wrestling Entertainment. Can we give it up for Mr. Jimmy Newton? How you doing today, sir?
2: I'm doing good guys. I'm feeling like uh I'm feeling like the old days when I was just little Jimmy Noonan from Saint Mary's in Rutherford, New Jersey, because I got devastated Daryl and the whip man, whip master general. I'm like, What the fuck? oh, you know? I'm like, damn Stop. I'm a I'm a nobody today. Well, I'm a nobody every day, but know, there are, there are people there are people who out there actually think I have something to say, so that's why I do these things, but it's good to see you. Good to be out. I like your energy, and, uh, and we'll see what happens tonight.
0: Let's have some fun, man. Well, speaking of what we like, I was just telling you off air, I'm liking that goatee beard thing you got, because the promo pic I seen, you were, like, clean shaven. What's that all about, man? That's
2: my corona beard, bro. I, um, so, um, you know, so many people have suffered during this coronavirus thing, uh, I've lost two—actually, two close friends—dying because of COVID. And right before that, I lost my uh, one of my best friends from high school, Brian Loretti, And and all this, all this stuff is going on. People are out of work. I think people are genuinely suffering, and I think they're doing it in silence. You know, I don't think everybody's saying, "Oh my God, I can't feed my family." Oh my God, I'm going to get thrown out of my house. Oh my God, um, I got lucky. Uh, March 26, I got a phone call from a, a famous lawyer in New York City and said, I need your help. And uh, next thing I know, I'm down on the beach in Del- Delray Beach, Florida, living down there, taking care of a client full time. And I decided to grow my uh, my coronavirus beard down there because there was nothing expected of us. All we had to do was stay healthy and stay clean and stay fit. Not me, I'm always clean, but I, I had to keep him clean and, uh, and clean on the right path. So So I just, uh, I decided to keep my coronavirus uh, and I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but the damn thing is like, gotta be four inches long. I think I'm gonna do like a really weird braid thing. Like, Like, I think I'm gonna get it long enough and I'm gonna braid it, you know? So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I kinda, I hate the look, but I like the look because I don't care. We're in a world right now, like who cares? You know, who cares what you look like, right? I mean, nobody, nobody gives a crap what you look like, you know? And I'm an That's ugly fair. old man anyway. So, well, you know, why nobody looks at me. So I just kind of stick with that, right? Yeah. You can do this little night hard
1: so, thing. So. You,
0: can, you can grab it and laugh a lot. There you go. <laughs> so uh, where, where, what area are you living in right now? And are you guys, uh, is your stay-at-home order lifted already?
2: Oh, man. Don't even get me started. Uh-huh. I'm, in a place, I'm in a place called Garfield, New Jersey. Okay? Now, so I was born in Massapequa, Long Island and at five years old, in kindergarten, we moved to Rutherford, New Jersey because my dad couldn't keep a job. So we drive to Rutherford, New Jersey, we get a house, and um, as the crow flies, Rutherford is maybe three miles from here. But it's South Burton County, and I'm in an area like, like it's safe and it's cool, and, and all my shit is here, you know what I mean? All my stuff is here, that's why I live here. Why do I live in a place? Because all my stuff is there. And it's actually not so bad, but I'll tell you an interesting story. When my mom was dying um, about four years ago, uh, I would walk in, you know, to see her and she would forget sometimes. She would think I was my dad. Now, my dad's been dead for 20 years, right? So she would think I was my dad. So then she'd realize I I wasn't my dad. Then she'd think I was my son. And then I'm like, well, mom, I'm not, you know, your grandchild. And then she'd think I was her brother, Johnny. And then she'd remember that I was Jimmy, her son. And she'd say to me every day, so where are you living now? And I'd I'd say, mom, I'm in Garfield, New Jersey. She'd say, Garfield? Garfield's a fucking (laughs) shithole. So yeah, that's where I'm in, in Garfield, New Jersey, because, because all my stuff is here. That's why I live here. Otherwise, I would be in New York or Los Angeles in a minute trying to do cool stuff. But the thing is, I still do cool stuff. sometimes it doesn't matter where you live. It's just like coming home from Delray Beach to Garfield is a little depressing sometimes. but it is what it is, you know I got a good life i got a, i got I got all my sports memorabilia. I got superstar Billy Graham and Spencer Haywood behind me with a little Rick Barry
0: and a little uh and a little Pete Maravich. So you know it is what it is. You were just saying off camera we we're talking about. So superstar Billy Graham is your guy, huh?
2: Well, I love Billy. I, I I've always appreciated him for the controversial guy he was. And listen, he was a legend in the business. You know, I mean, Billy was Arnold. It's almost like to me, I think Billy was Arnold and uh and and Hogan together before Arnold and Hogan were on the scene. I mean, he was. You know, he was massive, he had that big personality, he had the look, he had the whole Venice Beach look. And he used to come backstage with, uh, with uh, is it Val or Vic, Victoria or Val? I can't remember, but a wonderful lady his was white. And he'd come backstage and he found out one time that my sister was a famous writer named Peggy Noonan. Peggy Noonan got famous writing George, uh, 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 Ronald Reagan and George Bush's speeches, A Thousand Points of Light, A Kindly Gentle Nation. And he found that out. And he became such a Jimmy Noonan mark. It was the coolest thing. And I was already a Billy mark. And by the way, I don't mark out for anybody. You know what nice. I mean? Like, like LeBron used to come backstage. And I like Timmy Duncan. Timmy Duncan used to come backstage. And all these celebrities. I don't mark out over anybody. I work with celebrities. But, but some of them, like a guy like Billy, I will mark out over Billy.
0: Because Billy's one of a kind. Right, nice. nice. Well, before we go into your wrestling career, you know, I've been doing some research on you, man. If you were an actor, so you were actor first before you went into security?
2: Yeah, I did very well. Um, I, um, oh, my God. So on May 6, 1987, I told this story before, a, um, uh, something spiritual happened to me, and it's that I got sober. Through the grace of God, one day at a time. I drove myself up to a detox in Paramus, New Jersey on May 6, 1987. And I've been sober ever since. Congratulations. And if, if, thank you. I take no credit for it, though, man. It's an act of God, I'm telling you. An animal like me getting sober, I mean, guys like me don't get sober. I'm a fucking animal, you know? And and through the grace of God, now I got this, like, great life. Yay! Stay but back. anyway. So, um, so, uh... So I had a sponsor, you know, you get a sponsor in the 12 steps and, um, and my sponsor said, so what do you want to do now? I go, what do you mean? He says, well, you got to get a job. I got, I know that. He says, uh, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, maybe I'll go back to being a bartender. He goes, no, 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 no bartender, bro. Not if you're going to stay sober. I went, all right, I made good money. No, no, it's not going to happen. Well, maybe I'll go to truck driving. You know, I was a good truck driver for a while. No, 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 you're not going to be a truck driver. He said, what are you, you always wanted to do? I said, well, I always wanted to be an actor. He said, what? I said, I always wanted to be an actor. He says, what are you saying? I go, I always wanted to be an actor, all right? He says, well, go be an actor. I go, uh, okay, uh, how do I do that? He goes, I don't know, you're the actor, find out. <laughs> Two years later, I drive out to Los Angeles, I get my SAG card on a huge Miramax film, Harvey Weinstein called The Grifters. Angelica Houston, John Cusack, and Ed Benning, Martin Scorsese hired me the day before to play the opening scene with John Cusack. And my dream started to come true. Now, it's not like, um, it's so it's a different thing today because like I was highly trained, okay? I had done every high school play. I had done plays in college. I had done dinner theater. I had scene studies, I had, and then I also had uh, acting mentors and acting coaches that I went to class every day. So I'm not the rock or Dave Bautista or John Cena, who, you know, who, you know, cuts a promo and got a good look, you know, and, and I get an acting job. I mean, I fought and I worked my ass off and I went on thousands and thousands and thousands of auditions. And as you probably saw from my IMDB page, There's probably 20, 30 movies up there and TV shows and Broadway, man. I've been on Broadway. I've been on Broadway. I always say this, the same thing. Who's the only guy in the history of World Wrestling Federation, in fact, in the history of the world, who has been on a Broadway stage and been thanked in a Hall of Fame speech? Who would that be? Nice. I mean, there's only one guy. Oh, that's me. Holy (laughs)
0: shit. Oh, my God. It's me.
2: I forgot that part. So, so yeah. So it's what I wanted. And here's what happened, man. I was doing really now when you, when you are working and you're hitting it, I did back to back. I did super troopers. I just came off Broadway. I was doing a workshop of a big Broadway musical. Yes. I'm a singer and a dancer, believe it or not. This is a singer and a dancer. Mm. Um, uh, and, um, I'm coming off, I'm coming off that. And then, you got to have another job. So I'm training people. I'm, I'm working in a gym, you know, I'm, I'm a personal trainer and I'm also doing some security. And I get offered this job to go out with this company called world wrestling Federation at the time in uh, 99. And I took it and everybody in my life came to me and said, what are you doing? You're, you're hitting it, man. You're, you're killing it. You're, you're, you're going to your, all your dreams have kind of come true and I go, yeah, but you know, I'm going to Japan next week and I'm going to Australia the week after that. And, you know, I'm on live two times a week on TV and I won't make a lot of money. And, uh, and they were like, dude, you're crazy. What are you doing? And now I here I am, you know, years later. And um, I just had an audition the other day for a, for a TV show called Brockmire, which is apparently huge on Hulu. So I still get calls for stuff, but I don't know. Maybe I, listen, I, you never know what God's plan plan is for you you know I've chosen this world I've chosen this life I should say I haven't chosen the world if I was going to chose the world I probably wouldn't have chosen this world but anyway um I chose this life and it, it is what it is so I do the next right thing if I get a call to go out on the road with a client if I get a call to keep somebody safe and sane and sober If I get a call to, uh, to, you know, whatever I get, that's, that's the an acting job. Then that's the next thing on my plate. And that's what God wants me to do. So, so I keep my ears open and I grind it out and I'm 62 years old. I ain't getting any younger, but I'm doing all right. I got my health, you know, I got my life, wow, you know? So I, I, got it, I, got, I got it going on for a 62-year-old guy. So I, I, hope that, I hope that in a long way answered your, uh, answered your question. But I've been very successful. Listen, and now I wrote a book. I hate to say it because I, I, I take no credit for anything in my life, guys. God, I'm telling you, I pray and, and dreams come true. The power of prayer is incredible. But, and now I wrote a book, and the book is kicking ass and taking names, and, and it hasn't even been discovered yet. You know, that's the other one. Well, I know we're going to talk about it, but I'm just showing it right now. You know, color, it and, seem- and that's, not, that's not even the cover now. The cover has changed because uh, uh, Brooks, uh, what's his name? Barnes and Noble has asked me to change the cover. I mean, Barnes and Noble, baby. Barnes and Noble. So, um, yeah, my life is a miracle, bro. You know, I see, I, I, that's why I liked your energy. Like, I don't know you guys. Like, I seen Whipple's name on, on Facebook a lot. And you're like big guys, like we have so much in common. You know, you're big guys, you're of a certain age, not as old as me, I know, but you're thriving and you're doing your thing and you're doing the next right thing and you're doing podcasts. Like, I like that energy. And that's when you're a guy like us, that's all you got to do. You just got to keep putting it out there. You know, just keep putting, people don't understand how simple that is. Just keep putting the good energy out there and miracles are going to happen in your life.
0: And I'm glad you touched on that because like I said we're going to talk about the wrestling thing but I want to talk about something you're talking about that real life you're 62 years old and you're still acting you're writing a book you're still doing security so many people and I know you know some cats like this man that are already 40 years old and they act like life is over already they're 45 they act like they no I can't do anything how do you stay young so much energy how do you bring it to the table man
2: Dude, I got a second shot at life. Again, before my mom did, before my mom died, you know, I, I was 29, 30 years sober, about three, four years ago. And and I said, I looked at her and I said, mom, I said, "Me," because me and my mom had lots of problems, man. Me and my mom, I was the only son, six sisters, and I was my dad's son. And she hated my dad so much that she kind of hated me too. <laughs> I hate to say it. You know, listen, these things, these things are a fact. These things happen in life. But- uh, towards the end, I gave up. You know, I'm like giving all this mental power, and I'm giving all. I'm paying. I'm letting this lady live in my head and pay rent, right? You know, and not, no, not pay rent. I'm letting this lady. And like about six, seven years before she died, I just gave it up, and I went to her, and I, you know, I decided she was going to be my best friend till the day, till the day she died. I'm even embarrassed to say that me and me and mom had heat for a while. You know, because that's not what a man does. A man doesn't have heat with his mom. You know. But I went to mom and right before she died, I said, mom, we did pretty good, didn't we? You and I, we did pretty good. She goes, pretty good. You should have been dead 30 years ago. So I look at it like this, man. I got a second chance. I'm living on borrowed time. I, I, I wasn't supposed, this wasn't the trajectory of my life in the 1980s that I was gonna be doing all this cool stuff, that people were gonna trust me with their lives, that I was gonna be well-respected in so many different aspects of my life, that I was gonna be a good actor and 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 be on a team of actors to make a movie, that, that I was gonna be at WWE, the biggest traveling show in the history of the planet Earth, you know, and be respected even though Half of them will probably shit on me right now, but uh, you know it's like this wasn't supposed to happen. So the answer is I got a second chance, man. Now, honestly, I can't remember the last time I said those words. Like that's not my mantra. You know, I got a second chance, so I'm gonna I'm gonna live it up. I want to show Billy back there. You there, back there, Billy? Yeah, man, here, Jimmy. <laughs> okay, um, and I'm still a big motherfucker, even in old bitches um so so yeah you know it's not like again i don't but i'm saying it because you asked you know yeah, i got a so. second chance at life you know no, and, man. I'm,
1: I'm, and i'm digging it
2: that, i love my a, life man
1: i complain about great, it all
2: the time but i love
1: it <laughs> and that's a great testimony and that's the thing that people need to hear whether it's you know this is a wrestling podcast but you know beyond beyond that it's like it's about living your dreams and we talk about it all the time with all the guests that we came on and if people then just take the time and go for it. Like you said, I'm an actor, then be an actor. You know, if you want to be a wrestler, whatever you want to do, do it. And and, and that's a tremendous testimony to people out there that are listening.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, and again, you know, people say to me, wow, sober 33 years? Wow, that's amazing. You're, you're amazing. And I go, no, man, you don't understand. I take no credit for this. And I'm not a hero because I take no credit. I take no credit because I don't deserve any credit. I, I get out of bed, I bless myself like the little Catholic boy that you know I was taught. I say my prayers, I pray, I meditate, and then I take action. I gotta remember sometimes that I am not in the results business. I am in the action business and the results are in God's hands. I'm an action, action, action. Now, when I'm laying in my bed at three o'clock in the afternoon, not doing a thing. I ain't doing much action, but that's how I take care of stress. Sometimes I like, I'll go to bed for a day. You know, I'm a, I'm a weird dude. There's a reason I'm single. You know, I've been married. I got kids, but I'm a strange effing dude, man. But, but we all handle pressure in different ways, but I am not in the results business. I am in the action business. And just this simple thing, you guys calling me and saying, yes, I'll be I'll be, I'll, I'm glad to be a guest on your show. I know nothing about you. I've seen you on Facebook, but I just had a good feeling about it. And then your reputation is good. And so it's yet another positive action. And if there's somebody listening out there and can listen and not listen, if somebody can learn something that even it's as simple as they take away from this, an animal like him can stay sober 33 years, you know, I'm not here to here to teach lessons, as, as, you know, but, but if they get here that and put that together, boy, I wonder how they did it. And then you could throw up a, you could throw up an email address later on after this, and you know, and say, hey, listen, if anybody's struggling, you know, I don't want to make this a, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, a show about addiction. But if there's anybody suffering, and chances are there's somebody listening right at this second who's suffering from addiction. You don't have to live like that anymore, you know. So it's about action, action, action. Don't worry about the results. The results are in God's hands.
0: Man, man. And I got to tell you, like he just said, yes, this is a wrestling podcast, but we want to just talk to people. That's, the, that's what we do. And, like, I'm loving your energy as well. And it's funny because you're saying what you're doing. My mom is a 67-year-old minister who literally just started her radio show two years ago, just wrote a book this year about faith. You know what I'm saying? She, she was a postal worker for 40 years of her life. Never thought that she would be helping to change lives now. And, like, she's been to Russia on missions for the last couple of years. Uh, Africa. And not to go too deep, but – so it's a beautiful thing when people know, I don't care what age you are, keep doing what you're doing. The world wants us, the world needs us, and the Lord put us out here to talk about this type of stuff, man. It's,
2: it's never too late, baby. It's never too late, you know? It's never too late to uh... – it's never too late to to teach not not be a teacher like yeah be a teacher but to but to teach somebody a lesson to teach an old dog new tricks and to and to help it's never too it's never too late to help other people you know and i think that's you know i think if you keep that kind of attitude you're going to be good for a long time you know so god god bless you mother
0: thank you very much man but like i said we got to talk about it so he ended up getting in there with the wwf the WWE. Yes, uh, did, yeah. were you, I know you said you don't mark out for anybody and you had already been working out to get security, but what did you truly expect when you walk through the door and you see all these, cause I know you had heard the stories of wrestlers before you even met them. Before you know these guys, what did you expect?
2: Uh, what did I expect? Uh, you know, you know what, I'm, I've done a, maybe 150 of these things and, uh, and I don't think anybody ever asked me that question. Um, I will tell you that that during the Monday Night Wars, it's kind of interesting. During the Monday Night Wars, I didn't have the cable uh, uh, access, the the right channel to watch uh, WWF, so I watched WCW. Oh man! Isn't isn't, isn't that funny, right? Now oh, I end en- en- and don't get me wrong. I ended up getting to know a lot of those guys. And, I just thought it was interesting, you know, being an actor and and studying acting and and being somewhat somebody who thinks he's a connoisseur and I love movies and I kind of study them and I write about them, you know, acting, you know, there's a lot of an acting component to wrestling, especially today. There's actually too much. And we can talk about that later if you want. But so I was kind of fascinated, like these guys are taking these bumps and and there, and you can tell, like even though it's a work, you can tell there's so much testosterone in that ring that it's really not a work. It's a lot of shoot too. You know what I mean? I don't give a you know rat's ass if it was Shane Douglas or Buff Bagwell or Kevin Nash, or, or Hogan or or Sting. You know, back in the WCW days, but those guys. There was a lot of sh- Goldberg and William Regal. There was a lot of Benoit. My God, Eddie, those were a lot of shooting on each other. You know what I mean? Like they say they weren't, but I, you know when a guy's being stiff. So by the time I got to WWF in in '89, I didn't get I didn't go right on the road. I uh, I was at WWF New York, um, where I got kind of discovered. Uh, because, you know, WDF New York was such an integral place. You know, the place over on 41st and Broadway. And we were, doing sec- we, yeah, we were doing sec- security over there. We're handling top talent. And, you know, there's a few of us who were of a certain stature, a certain maturity, a certain age. And they really liked us. We happened to be all Jimmies. Uh Tan Jimmy, Jimmy Tillis, uh, Stone Cold Jimmy, that was me. Uh, uh, there was Jimmy V. There was uh, crackhead Kerry Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> we had all these Jimmies there, and they just seemed to like all the Jimmies. And next thing you know, something happened, and I'm out on the road. Um, and my first show was a house show in uh, Lamar, not, I guess uh, outside of Waco, Texas. And the first guy I met, I, I read about it in, in my book. The first guy I, read, I, I walked into was uh, uh, Bill DeMott. Bill DeMott came out to the ring really early because he got there really early for an afternoon show. And Bill DeMott's asking me, the new security guy, if it's okay if his girlfriend sits and watches the show at ringside. Mm-hmm. Bill DeMott, they kind of, you know, I mean, you know, he, he, he was Bill DeMott. And I was like, uh, sure. You know, like, what am I going to say? No to Bill DeMott and be afraid to get hit. You know what I mean? Um, and then it just they slowly started dribbling in, and it was you just start to get to know the boys so i don't i didn 't know what to expect man, but um, but yet at the same time, thinking about it all these years later, I probably could have written the script, you know what I mean? I probably could have thought it out and say it probably looks like this, and I probably would have been right and it was and it was nuts, man, it was nuts, it was quite a ride. I ended up being there of uh, just a little over seven years. And um and it was crazy, you know. I mean I you know, yeah, you'll 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 read some of the stories eventually. Um I got two other books coming out and and you'll you'll read a lot of this stuff, but I don't write stuff to hurt people. Just like I don't come on these shows to hurt people. I mean things come up, but things come up all the time. But you know, those shoot interviews that those guys do, you know, about who were the biggest whores backstage and who had the biggest schlongs backstage and who did this and who did it the most drugs like that's that's just silly stuff that's life I think I think the real stories of a bunch of guys you know eating in a in 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 Ribera Steakhouse in Japan is a much better story and, and all the camaraderie and all the funny stuff rather than all the negative stuff and the cheating on the wives and the ba ba ba. like who cares that's Everybody does that, you know what I mean?
1: That's not exclusive to wrestling, you know? So, so tell the fans a little bit about your role as, security, as head of security. You know, what, what was your responsibility? You know, how was it? Did you travel with the guys? What, what was your day-to-day job? Well, try to remember this. Um,
2: anything that Jeff Jarrett's involved in and, and, and Dixie Carter was involved in and, and, and I think maybe present AEW, they got, I, I still I still think they have Atlas Re- Wrestling working for them. Remember, you know those five it's guys, yeah. A- Atlas, right? The five or six? Okay, so they got all those guys working for them. I was one guy. And when I was at SmackDown, I was one guy. And Jimmy Tillis was at Raw, or I was at Raw, Jimmy Tillis was at SmackDown. One guy was running the whole thing when it came down to risk assessment, threat assessment, security logistics um uh anything having to do with risk assessment in the office keeping the fans at bay keeping the talent away from the fans keeping the fans away from the talent protecting intellectual property you know making sure nobody has a sign in the audience especially on hard camera side that says wwf sucks right. you know that ain't happening that's not happening in my show you know uh when we went to WWE, making sure there was no WWF signs, because every time the WWF would show up, the FCC would fine us like $10,000. So, so what you did was you did everything. You wore a lot of hats. Maybe Mark Yaten, the producer at the time, or, or, or uh, John D'Amico, the producer at the time at ringside, would disagree with me. Maybe they would disagree with me and even disagree with me har- harshly but we ran the show together. They don't know that. They don't know that because they don't know how often building security, building management would come to me with questions because they were too busy prepping for the show and then running all the minute to minute stuff for the show. Whereas I'm right there and they always know where I am. I'm either backstage or ringside, for 18 hours a day, okay? You know where to find me. Sometimes you can't find the manager in the production office. so. So I don't I think the production managers who you know I think they'd have a real problem with that me saying that but guess what I helped them run the show. So not only did I have all the security stuff, not only did I have all the safety protocol, not only did I have all the intellectual property stuff, but I kept it tight at ringside. And when I say I kept it tight, people didn't start hitting the ring until me and Jimmy Tillis left. We were tight,
0: man. Nice, nice. So you, you kept everything in order, man. You did your thing with security. Uh, the, the, the arena security, you were, they all had to go through you pretty much.
2: They pretty much did it. I mean, we would have a – a, so, so a security rider. Let's say we're doing uh, – okay, I'm on the road. I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, Winnipeg, and I'm doing Canadian shows, right? So three months ahead of time before, like, St. Louis, the St. Louis run, which would usually start Detroit, Cleveland, St. Louis. And then we come back up and do Dayton and Columbus for TV. right? So, so five shows in a row. They would be getting their security writer. And the security writer would spell out everything that we, that Jimmy and WWE needed for the show and the production manager. But it's really me, what I need for, for, for my part of the show. And then, so they would have everything. And, and I'm talking down to parking. I'm talking down to, you know, filing people in, what time doors open, what time doors close. You know, I'm talking down to, down to uh, everything. I mean, actually, actually splitting hairs, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, we would get there and then we would have two security meetings. There would be the first security meeting during the day. Let me turn the light on. Is that a little better? Yeah, thanks, sir. We turned we turned the security. We'd have the security meeting earlier in the day to make sure the early part of the day was good. You know, people were in the backstage. Security was in the backstage. Security was in the parking lot. The building was shut down. Nobody was allowed in the doors unless you were cleaning the place. Nobody was allowed telephones. Nobody was allowed anything. You know, setting up. Um, and then we would hold the security meeting about three hours before the show. And I'm telling you, everybody in that building would come out of their offices and meet little Jimmy Noonan from St. Mary's in Rutherford. I'm talking to the top management in the building to hear what Jimmy was going to say this time, you know? Because I was, let's put it, you know, I'm kind of an interesting guy. And sometimes I was in a really pissed off mood, and you know, because I'd been on the road for two weeks and I hated my job and I hated everybody there. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, put a, I wanted to eat a bullet. And then the other days, I'd be like, you know, rock and roll. Woo, how's everybody doing in San Antonio tonight? Yeah, you know? And we would do, you know, so we would have our, we'd have our meetings, and I'd have to go over soup to nuts. And, and I'll tell you, a lot of people in this big building, I am talking every arena in America, every single one, Okay. Every single, you know, anything that holds 2,000 people and over, we did during my time. And I was very, very popular in many of them. And guess what? The rest of them hated my guts. (laughs) Oh, my God. And it's one of the reasons I'm not a WWE anymore, because I had so much heat. Because sometimes I get there early in the morning, we got a generator truck worth worth $1.5 million dollars this at 10 o'clock in the morning there's 30 40 50 fans if somebody if i don't have somebody protecting that generator truck never mind the 10 million dollar production truck i get there and nobody's on there i'm screwed so then i gotta go find the building people and i gotta open a can of whoop ass and they're like whoa calm down big man i don't know who they think you are and they said, i'll tell you who to think i am you know you know what i mean it's like it, it wasn't it was yeah, I was, I was very popular, and I was very unpopular in a lot of buildings, too. But guess what? At the end of the day, WW was happy as a pig in swill because nobody hit the ring. Everybody was safe. Intellectual property was taken care of. Okay, they'd get a letter afterwards saying, listen, this guy's a little rough to work with, and he's a little abrasive, and blah, 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 blah. But guess what? The job always got done, and that was my job, to get the job done.
1: Now, now, let me ask you a question about that, because I remember those, the, you know, in, in those Monday Night Wars years, especially WCW, right? We, we'd see people rush the ring all the time. I remember, you know, the ref would be trying to tackle guys. You know, Scott Hall's trying to, you know, Kevin Nash, Randy Savage tackling the guys. This is WCW. You know, in the WWE, we didn't, yeah, we didn't see all these guys jumping the railing and, and knocking down folks and you're protecting the guys, you know, how were the guys to work with? Like, did they see you as a protector, or did they, you know, what was your relationship with the boys? Well, there's a couple of, so there's a couple of,
2: the way I see it, there's a couple of different questions there. Um, One is, one could be construed as, how come people were going nuts over at at WCW, and nobody was doing anything at WWE, right? People are throwing shit at WCW, People are hitting the ring on a regular basis and getting beat up. Well, we had real security at WWE. And those were our rules. Anybody throws anybody at the ring, go grab them. I don't care if you're wrong. Grab somebody and get them out so everybody sees that you, you can't stop. You. So, so that's number one. We were really tight on that. We, di- we, didn't, we didn't want that happen. at least when my regime, after Jim Dotson and, and me and Jimmy Tillis came on, okay? Number one, number two, the guys. So I guess there was something about like, how did you get along with the guys, and how did they treat you? I took (coughs) off the glasses for that one. You know, I think because of my age, I think because of a particular size, you know, and a particular age. Uh, and a particular maturity, they gave me the benefit of the doubt. Um, Everything at WWE is a test. Everything is a test. They're always testing you. They're always ribbing you. They're always messing with you. They, They didn't do a lot of that with me, especially in the beginning, because I was an unknown entity and I just came out of nowhere. And I was quiet in the beginning and I handled my business, and they respected that after a while you know you you start talking to these people and you start playing cards with them and he, here's 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 the the main thing I didn't go out and party after the shows with the guys. I did not go out and do all that stuff i once I got them back to the hotel, my job was over now, I could have been that guy who said. I'm the head of security anything that goes on this bar tonight is up to me and we're gonna see how it goes down and I could have got my girls and I could have got my stuff trust me I have my girls anyway but I could have got I could have made it like but no my once they got back to it the, once they got out of the arena and got back to the whole st- hotel safely it was done and I was going back to my room and I was either gonna sleep watch a movie or experience one of the locals if you know what I mean but I, so I, was, cool. I, I was doing my own thing. So I wasn't at the bar. So I wasn't getting in, I wasn't getting in a lot of, I wasn't getting in any trouble, you know? And there were some guys who that. That was a whole MO to hang out with the guys at the bar at the end of the night. So I think they treated me a li- little differently. They knew I was the sober guy. They knew I was a straight arrow. They didn't I didn't party. So I think we were okay. Now, after a while, they're going to eventually treat you bad. It's just going to happen. It, it's it's the way it's the way of the world at WWE. And I started getting uh, treated badly. Even I remember w- with Ray one night of all people, Ray, one of the nicest guys in the business, Ray Mysterio. Right? Um, we're in uh, we're in Italy, and I hated Italy. If you read Getting Color, you're going to see what I say about Italy. It's a beautiful place, but the wrestling fans are horrible. I say, Italy from one end to the other is beautiful. There's only one problem with Italy.
0: Italians live there. <laughs> and ta-
2: no, and I mean, I'm talking about the Italians who are sports fans. They're nuts, man. They just go out of their mind. And I get on the bus a couple of minutes early to put my, my, to get a seat, you know, and I put my bag on, and then everybody gets on the bus, and, you know, with triple, triple H and Dave done from the last minute, everybody comes on, and then I find my bag, and my bag's on the floor. And I know exactly what seat it was in the race. in. I said, Ray, you know, I put my bag in that seat. He says, well, I don't deserve a seat. I go, well, I don't deserve a seat. And then Bill, uh, Bill, uh, what do you call that guy? Bill, uh, I think it was Bill or Bob. Bob, the guy, Bob uh, the bully. What was his name? Holly? Bob Holly. Bob Holly says under his breath, oh, Noonan, just shut the fuck up. And I looked at them all, man. And I, I looked at every last one of them and I was like, that's it, man. And that was the beginning of the end. I left about a year and a half later, but sooner or later, they're just gonna turn on you. You know why? Because you're not one of the boys. You're not, it's just gonna happen, man. You ain't one of the boys, you are nothing. And they gave me a break and they were cool with me, you know. And and I don't think they knew how much I did for them. I don't think they really understand how many people I pie faced? How many how many asses I took down? How many how many how many squabbles I they averted because of me? Like and and there was nothing. There was not even a not even a thank you at the end of the day. Wow. You know, yeah. So it's it's a it's that's listen that's w. That's maybe life in general. Who who knows? Maybe that's life at Microsoft, you know? Maybe that's life at Google. Maybe that's life with Dan Pace and Sean I don't know. You know? But but WWE man, if it can go south, it's gonna go south.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I think it is life in general, because I know what happened in my day job. It definitely happened in my shoot, man. But anyway, but uh I do want to ask you about this, man. You were the director of security, you would tell us some of these great stories, but they also Use you, you on camera you were on camera a couple of times did a they know about the your acting career or did it just happen to be you just kind of slid out there well a
2: couple of times how about a couple of thousand times
0: right I mean
2: you can't see a video I just I just sent a, I was watching a hurricane video I, I like hurricane I just sent them I just sent them my book hurricane Shane Helms a real solid dude you know and, uh, and I, I just sent him a copy of my book, and I signed Hurricane the Man, you know. Uh, Shane Helms, Hurricane, I love you, bro. You know, and just signed the book, and I sent it to him. And um, um, wait, what was your question?
0: No, I was saying, that you've been on camera for oh, never. So, thank
2: you. So, so Shane's on Instagram, and Shane's, Shane's putting up videos on Instagram. And I, say, I said, how come I'm in the background the 90% of your videos? Ninety percent, ninety percent of them. I'm on Shane. I'm I'm on camera with every uh, every great superstar in history. I'm on there. You know who I don't have enough of, and I can very rarely find one. I just find one. My favorite guy in the world, Eddie Guerrero. Wow. Eddie, Eddie. There's only one or two on the internet, but there's me and Batista, me and Triple H, me and Flair, Undertaker. I'm I'm all I'm. I was on TV all the time. People people will call me and say, I saw you on TV last night. I go, Yeah, big deal. You know, but no, and so. So that had nothing to do with acting, whoever you are. Jimmy Tillis was on TV a lot too, except and there's no there's no nice way to say this. It's just that Jimmy blended in a little more. I was this big, gigantic white dude with this big white head, black, black on black outfit with this big white head. Of course I stood out more. Jimmy, you hardly ever saw it. Jimmy Jimmy blended in. You know what I mean? Uh yeah kind of the difference between literally black and white you know (laughs) but no I was not no so Jimmy Jimmy was on even more than me but I'm the one you can see and then sometimes people didn't recognize me because JR one time when JR was running talent relationship relations my first few years JR said I don't want this Noonan guy wearing uh, coming out like that every night he's got to wear a hat it looks like too much like stone cold and I was like They look think I look like Stone Cold. And then the first day I saw Stone Cold, I went, whoa, yeah. Hold on, man. I'm looking at your
0: picture back here on my screen. I can see it,
2: dog. I can see it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. JR said, JR said he looks like Stone, he he said, he looks like too much like Stone Cold. We gotta put a hat on him. You know, I was always hiding in the background or trying to hide. But it had nothing to do with acting. It's just, it was my job to be on TV. No, no. Red, could you imagine the money I would have got from all those appearances from the screen actors guild? <laughs> man. man, they would they would owe me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. If Plus I you okay said you that. were SAG
0: also? Oh, oh man. Oh I've,
2: I've been I just celebrated thirty three
0: years in SAG. I'm, hey, I, I'm only SAG eligible myself, so I get it. You're SAG union. You're actually union, so you're great.
2: Well, back in the day when I got my SAG card, I think I paid four hundred and eighty dollars. Yours now is probably like thirty five hundred or something. That's 75%. why I'm only eligible
0: and not union. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're unless you're almost guaranteed to getting your next acting job, right. thirty five hundred dollars is a lot of money at twenty eight or whatever it is. Back right.
1: in the day, we back in the day we spent nothing. <laughs> Now, now, when you're out there, you're out front, right? I and mean, then we see a lot of times, it's like maybe a drunk college kid or somebody on the dare is trying to do something. But what are some real situations where somebody was really, you know, trying to do some harm, you know, either to, you know, not a fan or, or, or to, you know, one of the, the wrestlers, you know, what's, any stories where somebody that you really took down a real threat? Well, part of being a security guy
2: and part of being a good security guy, see... See, we have this conversation all the time. The difference between police officers and God, God bless them all and the hard work they do and security guys. A lot of people hire police officers to do security. And police officers are reactive. That's, you know, a crime goes down, they react. Whereas it's my job to get there before the, you know, get before that the action happens. And, and I have, uh, you got to have a good assholeometer. You know what I mean? You gotta you gotta you gotta know your fans and you gotta figure out ahead of time. I mean I could be in a I could be in a, an arena with twenty thousand people and look up and I said, that guy's gonna be a problem, that guy's gonna be a problem, and that lady over there is gonna be a problem tonight. You know what I mean? So so you know, otherwise, if it's around, you know, the first 15, 20 rows around ringside. I can pick them out. And what you do is you feel like you're making them special. You say, sir, yeah, yeah, you up there. Isn't me? Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on down. Come on down. Oh, he feels special. And he knows he's been an asshole. And he knows about what's about to happen. You know? But nobody else knows he's been an asshole. I said, how you doing, man? He'd say, good. I go, listen, I want you to see what you're doing up there. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take it down a notch but I don't want you to take it down one notch. I don't want to take it down two notches. I want you to take it down three whole notches. And then you and I are gonna get along just fine tonight. You go,
1: oh, 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 all right, all right, good.
2: You know, Instead of anything else, if a guy came over, they either got clobbered in, during my our reign, me and Jimmy Tillis, or, or, or they hit it, or they hit the ring and it was over quickly and you never saw it, you know? So you got to be able to pick out the people—not that the people who like are intimidating to you, or you know, maybe a guy looks like a guy from your past who used to beat the shit out of you. Something, yeah. No, you just got to have this. You got to have a different mindset, and that's what a good security guy is. He's got a—he's got a good mindset. He knows where to put himself, and he knows—he knows—he knows something's going to happen instinctively before it even happens. And if he's wrong, great. And if he's right, he's red. Does that make sense?
0: I'm glad you touched on that, man, because in my day I did a little bouncing and I did a little executive as well. I bet you did. Look at the size (laughs) of you. With that being said, though, uh, I know when I used to do it, people would always offer me opportunities outside of the actual client I was working for. So while you were doing security for WWE, were they exclusive like you can't do anything else? Because I know people all the time trying to get you to work other events and other things.
2: Well, wait a second, man. There was one year I did 300 shows. So where else am I going? You know what I mean? And when I wasn't in a sh- doing a show, I was flying home or in an airplane. This was, this was, this was I mean, I think, I think we figured out one year. I think I put, one of my last years, I think I put 800,000 miles in the air. I had wow. diamond I had diamond platinum <laughs> status with every airline and every hotel in America. I mean, we did a lot of flying, bro. So there was no outside stuff. But if you want to hear a good story, we're in the airport one day. And uh, I think we're in, uh, we're somewhere in the Midwest. And uh, I was always a fan of Jessica Simpson. Remember Jessica Simpson, the blonde with the big cans? Man, she was hot, right? God damn, right? And she's with uh, not Justin Timberlake. She's with Nick Shea. and they're famous in the they're famous in their life because they don't travel with a security guy. She's Jessica Simpson. She's like next to Britney Spears at the time. She's the biggest pop star. This pre Taylor Swift, any air, this Miley Cyrus, and she was the biggest thing on the planet. Plus, she's with a guy who's got a, in a boy band too. Her and Nick Shea. And WWE, we get off a flight, we're changing airports. Let's call it Laramie, Wyoming. I don't know. And uh, we're switching airplanes. And I see Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. And a, and a Delta guy was with them, you know, right? So I see an opportunity. Now, the WWE guys all see Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey, And Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson all see the WWE guys. But the WWE guys ain't putting her over at all. They're like, you know, right? Like, they're all impressed, but they're all playing like, oh, that's that one. Yeah, I mean, trust me, they were impressed. But they're just not putting her off. They're not even looking her way, right? Because that's what you do with the day. You don't put anybody over, right? So I see an opportunity. So they're walking, they're walking, they're walking. Boom, I peel off, you know, because I'm not going to, you know, if there's going to, something's going to go down, I can't handle 40 guys anyway. Let them go do their thing. Who cares? They're going to get on the plane. Fine. So I peel off and I get my card ready and they're sitting down and they had seen me walking with the guys. So I said, Um, uh, Miss Simpson, Mr. Lachey, I'm Jimmy Noonan on the Head of Security at WWE and they go, Hey, how are you? We saw you guys walking through, my God, they're so big, blah, blah, blah. I said, Listen, you know, I see you don't travel with security. I said, You ever need somebody? You know, here's my card. And about five months went by and I got a call and it didn't really work out. They kind of lowballed me on on some money, but uh but uh yeah, you you're 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 you could look at it as a gateway to something bigger and better, even though you're kind of like into you know, into all the action and you, you know, you you know, you're going to Springfield, Missouri, you gotta see your girlfriend in Springfield, Missouri the next day. So you wanna stay on the road with WWE. You know what I mean? You got your you got your girls lined up. I'm sorry, that's about the only the fifth time I've mentioned that, right? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well.
0: We are going the, to go back only,
2: to the only good thing about being on the road.
0: <laughs> we are going to go back to WWE in a hot second. But I want to start talking about your book, man. So, your book, Getting Color. Now, even though it is fictitious, it's about the wrestling world. Um, I believe the synopsis clearly states, all the men want to be him, and all the ladies want to fuck him. Where, Okay. But you, like you said, it's fictitious. Tell me about your book, man. Tell me about getting covered. Put it over right now. Well,
2: that's that. As it says in the book, and it says in all the promotional material, that's the formula for being a WWE superstar. It's all tried and true. It's it's it's. How, how do you get to the top? Well, you got to top. You got to be that guy, and that guy is the guy that men want to be and women want to follow. And Dan Manley is that guy. he's six foot seven he's three hundred sixty five pounds. he's built like a brick shit house. He can cut a promo, and the company has given him the belt the day at Russell Bonanza, okay, so Russell Bonanza, they give him the belt and they want this belt on him for a long, long time. So it's three hundred and sixty five days. actually, it was going to be three hundred and sixty five days up until the championship match at Wrestle Bonanza. So he's got the belt technically in, in my mind, he's got the belt for a year after he's got the strap, uh, the world, the world, the uni- uh, universal, uh, Federation of wrestling's world champion. Uh, he won it in front of 86,000 people in, uh, in Toronto, and he's going to have it for the next year. And it's a diary. It's a day by day diary, but, a, you know, if you know a little about wrestling, and B, you know, and a little of a thing about writing, things happen. You get ideas, and and he starts getting really, really bad concussions. So we don't even make it through the end of the first year. That's why Getting Color Two will be out soon. This book, I mean, I wrote six, seven hundred pages, and no, nobody was gonna, nobody was gonna put out, you know, six hundred pages. So. I had to put it into at least 2 and maybe 3 because it's such a rich story, you know, and it's about his journey. Yes, he is fictitious, you know. Allegedly. Um but uh no, but he's he's a guy who um, you know, like like he was a he was like a bouncer and he was a bodybuilder and he was a big dude and he wanted to be a wrestler. He saw Wrestling on TV, wanted to be a wrestler, like so many times you heard, you know? And he worked his ass off and he had he had everything. He had the look, he had the body, he had the attitude, and he could cut a promo and he made it to the very top in a short period of time. But, you know, you tear a quad and, you know, somebody hits you. I remember one night we were at Madison Square Garden and, and uh, uh, you know, people forget, like, these stadiums and these arenas, they're all full of air. They're pumping air in and out of them, right? There's HVAC and air conditioning, and you know, there's doors open, and they're pumping it out. And I remember Matt Hardy, uh, they were, were going to start an angle between Matt and Brock. And, and Matt goes into the runway as Brock's walking out, grabs a chair, and he's supposed to hit, take the chair and hit Brock over the back of the head, right? But the chair, with all the air and everything, kind of goes sideways, and he catches Brock and puts, puts a hole in the back of Brock's head like you wouldn't believe. Brock went nuts. Brock was going to kill people, right? Brock's got, you know. And so this is what happens to, I'm not saying they're the same guys, they're not. They're definitely definitively not. But that's what happens to Dan Manley in, in, one of the, in one of the, towards the end of the book. And this is his third concussion in a row. And he's got to take some time off. So that's actually the end of the book. Um, I want, you know, he's got some spiritual stuff going on. He doesn't like the road. He's a bit of a sex addict, um, you know, and, and he likes the push and he likes the attention and he loves the four or $5 million a year he's making, but he's, he, he, he's got a wife at home and he's got kids at home and he's got troubles like everybody else and, He's coming to you know he's coming to terms with his life, and so I had to end it really fast because, because I was so excited about getting, to, getting number two out there once he got over this huge injury. You know what I mean? Um, but that's it in a nutshell, and it's all you know all Dan's stories about being on the road and all the stuff, and but it's all fiction.: That's actually
0: where I want to ask you next, though so what made you go the fiction route as opposed to so many of the people in the business they do the autobiography thing why did you choose to go uh uh, loosely you know what i mean well
2: well, first of all i saw i signed many non-disclosure agreements okay and if you read i mean i haven't read all these books i haven't read jericho's book and i haven't read edge's book and i haven't read flair's book and i haven't read triple h's book and i haven't read batista's book and i haven't read china's and.
0: <laughs> I'll bury you, man. I'll bury you. you know up, what man. I mean? Wake so,
2: so like, so like, I mean, they're all the same. Come on, you know. I mean, one guy may be a little more talented writer than the other, but they're all the same around the world in tights. I mean, that could be the name of everybody's of, of everybody's book, right? And I'm not shitting on Jericho. Jericho's cool, you know. I'm not the nicest guy in the world, but um, but so nobody ever done nobody had ever done a fictional account a fictional account and therefore because it's fiction i can say and do some things that nobody else can you know what i mean and yeah it's fiction uh but you have more you have more freedom that way you have you have more freedom that way and there's lots of great stories in there and you know i say due to this author's vast imagination you know this is all fictional And the last thing I write is, you might have seen, if you read it, it said, this is not about you, you conceited fuck.
0: I saw that. I saw that, man. And and I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my next thing. Truth be, tell the truth, have you got any backlash from the fellas, man? Has anybody hit you up? Did they text you? They emailed you like, bro, is this about me? Is this about me?
2: Well, here's, here's the funny part. I have sold a shitload of books, and this hasn't even been discovered by the wrestling world yet. This, nobody even knows about this book yet. And I've sold hundreds and hundreds of books. So once this gets like, like I, I don't think it's gonna happen, but there's an chance Shane. And I did Shane as a gift because Shane's a good guy. And he did me a favor for this kid with autism. He did this little thing. He, you know, at the end he says, what's up with that? And this kid's walking around, this, uh, this autistic kid who was doing really bad, uh, not doing Dylan Clarno, he was not doing, he was not doing real well. And all of a sudden he's walking around and I say,
0: Hey, mommy! What's up with that?
2: You know, so 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 Shane really did a nice thing for him, and that was my gift. But you know, Shane might read it and and say to some of the boys because Shane's I, I'm pretty sure on the team at WWE now. I think he's like a, an agent or something like that. He may go, hey, by the way, uh, anybody read Newman's book? You might want to take a look at it. You know what I mean? Um, uh, I I, I, I so no, there's been no heat. I don't think there will be ever any heat because um, why, why why would you say that's you? You know, if there's something now, there's some people in there that it's so obvious who they are. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's just so obvious, you know. But otherwise, why why would you say that that's you that that Noonan's writing about? You know, what I mean? nobody's going to claim that. Nobody's gonna claim. Everybody's gonna—they're gonna say it's stay far, But they're like, there's such marks for themselves, you know, the wrestlers that yeah. sooner or later they're gonna pick it up, and then they're gonna wonder, this is this is what I see someday. I see, so I see, I see Vince reading this one night, like on a plane flight back from California to to uh, to New York. And somebody tells him about it, and he goes, Noonan. Uh, let me see, Noonan. Oh, I remember that guy. That was the big bald guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Noonan. And he reads my book, and he reads it in four hours, right? And then the next day at TV, he takes the book and he throws it in the middle of the room. Throws it at one of the agents and says, "How come Noonan's the best writer in the company?" You know, that's that's the that's the way I see it. What one day when one day when he actually reads it, you know, he's gonna call a lot of people out and say, "How come our security guy's the best writer? This guy can write angles. This guy can do anything. You guys are putting out this shit," you know. And he's the best writer in the company. How did that happen? Of course that would probably never happen. But you know what I'm saying, man. There's nobody, no nobody, thing. nobody wants to nobody wants to identify themselves with that. I mean, I got a character in there called the Black Savage. You know? Okay. So listen, there's only X amount of black, and that's not derogatory in any way. It's right. that would be like that would be like a wrestler's name from the from the nineties, right? Black Savage. You know, it's not racial or anything like that. But you know, if you do the math, there's only X amount of black guys in the company. So sooner or later, you're gonna find out who it is. I'm not gonna say who it is, but you know, you, you don't have to be a moron to figure that one
0: out. You know. Loving this, man. Daryl, you got anything else for me? we been been—we are—it's been an hour already. But Daryl, you got something for we get out of here? Oh,
2: uh, let's go three hours. Fuck this. <laughs> <All
0: right. laughs> we can always it talk about in the two episodes. So let's get it.
1: Well, you know, probably a thousand questions, but one, you know, you talked about, you know, the boss, right? You talked about Vince McMahon. Any Vince McMahon interesting interaction stories? Well, you know, what was it like working with
2: Vince? Well, I'm going to give you my stock answer that I've given in uh, at least a hundred interviews like this. Podcasts and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Listen, I'm never, ever going to say anything bad about Vince McMahon. Why? Because I saw the world on Vince McMahon's dime and I saw it in first class. So, with that said, he's 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 1,000% protected with me. You know what I mean? Not that they're really... Listen, you know, you, you hear things. Vince is very insulated. Vince is... Vince is in an area that I don't get to go to. For instance, one night we're in uh, Nashville, and uh, it's a big pay-per-view. And I guess the gist of the pay-per-view, I can't remember the main event, but Kane was making a comeback, and he was looking for his brother, right? And Kane and Kane and Taker were going to go together once again, but they hadn't been together in a long time, so this is big news. And into the switchboard at the uh, – uh, did I say Nashville? Yeah, yeah, Nashville. Into the switchboard in Nashville comes what the people call a credible threat. And before they call the police and before they call building security, well, they tell the, the building manager and they come down to me and they talk about it. And basically uh, there's a threat that during the Kane-Taker uh, match, everybody had their, the person who called in had their facts down they're in the middle, the lights are going to go off and something terrible is going to happen. There's going to be a bomb. There's going to be boom, 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 boom. So they take it to me and they said, and we're considering it a credible threat. So now if they consider it a credible threat. Before we go to the police, we have to consider it a credible threat. So I got to take it to Kevin Dunn, you know, the producer. So I knock on the door and he says, what's up, Jimmy? I said, Kevin, we just got to call the building, blah, blah, blah. He goes, okay, right. Go to Vince and see what Vince says. So I haven't talked to Vince in months. <laughs> I travel all around the world with this guy, but there's no reason to talk to Vince. Vince is Vince, except, hello, boss, or good morning, boss. You know, there's no reason to talk to Vince. I haven't talked to Vince in months. Here I am, his head of security. We haven't talked in months. So I said, uh, Mr. McMahon. And I always, I never called him Vince. Everybody called him Vince. I felt very uncomfortable calling him Vince. I called him, I, I, called him McMahon. I said, Mr. McMahon. I said, Mr. McMahon, he goes, hey, Jimmy, what's up? I said, listen. Um, we got a little bit of situation, you know. Uh, he said, "What's that?" And I tell him the situation. So he thinks for a second. He goes, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "I don't think anything's going to happen." He says, "Okay, just keep your eyes open. Thank you very much." And then Kevin says, "What happened?" He says, "Just keep your eyes open because I didn't. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they can pull it off." So then we called the police and they brought in the sniffer dogs and the blah blah blah. And there was no bomb in there, and the show went off splendidly. But um I'm gonna save the real juicy story for um a letter to Cecily. A letter to Cecily, so when I was on the road, um I was a single man on the road, enjoying the fruits of being single on the road. Okay. And I met I mean, a girl that's be one the fourth night. book.
1: The fourth book. That, 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 be that should that should enjoying be right. Well,
2: enjoying the fruits <laughs> of the road. Listen, it is what it is. One, girl, one girl's mother told her one day, she goes, you got to watch that guy. He's got a man in every city. And I literally did have – I'm sorry. He's got a woman in every city. <laughs> dude. dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I just come out of the closet on a fucking on a podcast?
1: <laughs> we got exclusive. We got the
2: exclusive. That's hysterical, man. Got the exclusive. Jimmy Noonan's gay. Oh my god, that's funny. Eh, it wouldn't be the worst thing. But anyway, he's got a woman in every city, and the fact is, I did have a woman in every city. She was absolutely right. But um, where was I? Which way was I going before that? Oh, so anyway, I was on the road, I met a girl, and some things happened, and now I have a 15-year-old daughter, who is gorgeous and incredible, and I'm crazy about it. So my daughter's 15, and right after I left WWE, I wanted, because she was two, and I was 47, 49, whatever the hell I was, I can't remember the difference, 46, yeah, whatever, 49, she was... So because of the vast difference in our ages, I wanted to tell her everything about my life that we don't know what God's plan is for me. Am I going to live to be 90 or am I going to live to be 63? We don't know. And I don't know. Uh, So I wanted to write her a letter and I wanted to tell her everything. So it's called The Letter to Cecily, The Memoirs of a Nobody. And it's a real book. It's not fiction. And it'll probably be out, I'd say sometime this winter. But but I tell a couple of juicy stories in there about Vince. But not bad stories, just like like macho, mano a mano. There was one particular story that I'm not going to get into, but it had to do with um, Seattle. I think the greatest, uh, personally, I think the greatest WrestleMania ever, and if it's not the greatest, I think the most underrated WrestleMania ever was Seattle. Uh, Seven, seven, 18. Seattle was 18 or 19, whatever. The WrestleMania in Seattle. And Vince, um, Vince was going to the arena with me at, um, at, uh, at midnight to go over his, uh, to go over his match with Hogan. Remember the street fight, him and Hogan? Yep. So it was going to be, it was going to be Rock and Steve, the and Kane main event. I'm sorry, Vince and Vince and Hogan, the Col main event, and the main event was going to be, oh no. So, like, two, two co-main events, and then the main event was Brock and Engel. But anyway, so they were going to go over the match, and me and Vince were alone in the, in, the, in the limo. And Vince, it was just weird, man. It was just weird. So I write about it in the book, and, and okay. you're going to have to wait to hear that story. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything went down between us, but the tension and, the, and this power play thing that was going on was really odd. And maybe it was as simple. He was just, just finding what I was about because I'd been only on the road for a couple of years at the time, and we never really got the set. And he's just staring at me. So, but I get more into the story. Uh, you know, he's all he's all jacked up. Remember Vince Aj with the black, the black boots and the black, the black jeans and the black, the black tank top. And he's all jacked up, and he's eating a protein bar after he just ate two steaks at a steakhouse. I mean, I don't know how how much this food, how much food this guy eats. But so yeah, I save all the good stuff for that book. But there's nothing, right. you know, there's nothing really terrific, you know, nothing really terrific stories about Vince. Vince was Vince, was Vince, and, yeah, you, you just, you know, you, you got to you had to treat him with a certain amount of respect, but it was easy to do. It was easy to respect Vince.
1: All right. All right. Last one for me, and you don't have to go into it, but were you on the plane ride from hell? I was not,
2: um, but I was on my own plane rides from hell, which are well-documented. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. Um, but I, I I was not my, uh, my partner was, and I'm kind of glad I wasn't because one of two things would have happened. Um, a, I would have slept through the whole thing or B I would have shit myself. When Brock hit the door, was that the one with Brock? Brock hit the door, him and him. And And actually, you know, there's more stories, you know, like, I don't think all the stories ever came out that night, all the stuff. There were, there were more stories. There was like, there was like six separate things that happened that night. And I think three or four of them came out. And there, there's actually more to that story. And somebody documents it somewhere. But that was not only the plane ride from hell, but it was the craziest fucking ride. Like, it's almost amazing that that plane landed or, or that there wasn't a rebellion or that a bunch of guys didn't get murdered that night. Like a Bruiser Brody thing didn't happen. And a couple of guys, you know, did, didn't get murdered that night. Because... There's a whole load of stuff that happened on that plane that night. I was on a plane one night though when Flair came out of the uh, Flair came out of the bathroom naked and with his uh, I'm sorry, naked underneath his robe, and opened the robe, you know, and just you know, woo! And, and I'm, i I I will never get that because it's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny, and it's so outrageous. And it's so kind of, it's it, it just so brought together what WWE is, you know? It's Ric Flair coming out of a bathroom on a plane, naked, except for his Nature Boy robe, and then opening the robe going, woo, you know? And Rick probably says, oh, that never happened. But guess what? I was there, so.
0: Jimmy, man, listen. I want to say, first of all, thank you. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And we actually got... Tons more questions for you. So one day, if you, cool, we're going to do a part two another time if you're down for that. first. That's you, wanted, of
2: that. you want to do one question on the phone?
0: Oh, uh, but before we, before we go, before, but before we leave out, I want to ask you this. I want to ask yes. you this. you told all the stories so far. You, you're acting now. You, you, you wrote your book. But if it ever was an opportunity, would you go back?
2: Absolutely not. First of all, First of all, that opportunity is never going to happen. It's just, trust me, it's never going to happen for no particular reason, except those people do not go backwards. They just, it's in their DNA not to go backwards. And even though to me, it would be a smart move. Honestly, I think it would be a smart move. I think Paul should have called me 10 years ago and just said, listen, I don't know what happened. I don't know where you went, but come the fuck back. I, I don't, you know, and I was cool enough with Paul that, you know, i I, I thought, you know, but, um, so a, there's no, I mean, zero scenario that they would ever call and B, if they did, there's no way, there's no amount of money I would ever go back. Yeah. Never going to happen. For sure. I love my I life. I love my life too much. I love my sanity too much. Um, that job would probably, that job would probably knock another 10 years off my life at this point. You know, I mean, if I had a if I had a uh, had a Brock deal, or I did ten shows a year, yeah, boy, <laughs> you know. I mean, but but otherwise, nah. And and it would never it would never happen in a million years anyway, because they would construe that as going backwards.
1: I get it. I get it.
0: Well, once again, Jimmy, thank you for coming to the show. It's been great, and like I said, my pleasure. To bring you on another time again, because this has been awesome. But right now is the final segment of the show, and the final segment is called "Ring the Bell." We give the guests sixty seconds to talk about whatever they want to. They can promote themselves. They can say something inspirational. They can say whatever they want to. But you got sixty seconds, Jimmy. Go ahead and ring the bell.
2: Oh man, this is like so unfair in, in so many ways. Uh, but I mean that in the in the nicest possible way. You know, we're we're in uh, we're in. I'm not a real serious guy, you know? I mean, when it's time to get serious about spirituality and life and death and addiction and stuff, you know, that's when you stop me in my tracks and I get real serious. But, you know, we're coming off what seems to be the tail end of the COVID crisis, although there's a chance we may have a round two this winter. And then, you know, Aubrey, I can't remember Aubrey's last name, but I remember it's double A. Aubrey, the gentleman who was shot and then we're coming off George Floyd and the terrible you know the atrocity that happened to him you know what else could you possibly talk about for 60 seconds than George Floyd and black lives matter and all lives matter and all that stuff and and to somehow put this fire out in the world and there's got to be sooner or later there's got to be some healing man the world is about healing the word is the world is not about starting fires the world is about healing and we need to heal man we need to heal from covid we need to take care of those people we need to take care of all those bodies we need to protect people and we got to pray that the the george floyd situations do i have their name right george floyd
1: that's right. right
2: um god i thought for a second it was gregory we gotta we gotta we gotta really pay attention to that stuff and we gotta come to a conclusion and we gotta heal. And I'm not saying that because I'm talking to two rather large black men. I'm (laughs) saying that because it's from my heart and and it hurts and and my heart hurts right now just for the way the world is, especially the United States of America.
0: For sure, for sure. Well, once again, Jimmy, thank you for coming on the show, man. I hope you enjoyed yourself, man. And like I said, we definitely wanna bring you on another time when you got some more free time to kick it with us, man.
2: I'll come on anytime guys a great show great energy you're a bunch of good guys and uh, whenever you can push get in color a little bit I'd like to sell more books so I can put my daughter in an expensive college someday
1: what <laughs> so I mean, he yeah, as we head out. Let's get those websites. Where 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 can I get the book? Where's the websites? The email. Okay. How
2: do I get a hold? So so my company, I handle high net worth individuals with addiction issues. My company is called Sobriateam dot S O B R E, S O B R E, R I E T E A M. and that's where people can get can get help and to uh, to uh, to help get get themselves better and get their lives on track. And then Getting Color is on Amazon. Um, Getting Color is uh, uh, Kindle Amazon, regular Amazon, and BarnesandNoble.com. You can find the book Getting Color, a novel by Jimmy Noonan about the great wrestler Dan Manley and the Universal Federation of Wrestling.
0: Yes. And guys, we will have that website on our Facebook page and on our social media platforms. So you can definitely get a copy, man. Also, like you said, if you're dealing with something, he would email him because we out here. There's a lot of Jesus. mental health stuff going on. There's a lot of addictions. Get help. Do not be scared to get some help, guys. Anybody ever wants some help, help, Jimmy, Jimmy Noonan, center.
2: Jimmy Noonan at Yahoo. J I M M Y N O O N A N. Jimmy Noonan at Yahoo. You got any questions about sobriety or or want to get clean? Let me know. I'll I'll put you in the right direction.
0: You heard that, guys. Jimmy Noonan Newton, Jimmy Newton at Yahoo.com. Like I said, we'll have that information up. Well, guys, we're going to get, get out of here. We had another great show, so you know what to do. Follow us, Facebook, The Whip Show Podcast. Instagram, at The Whip Show Podcast. You can see it. Listen to the podcast on Anchor, anchor.fm, slash The Whip Show. And if you want to be a sponsor of the show, all you got to do is email us, The Whip Show Podcast, at gmail.com. So once again, I am Deshaun with Dog Whipple and Devastating Daryl Pace. And we will see you next time on the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders podcast, aka The Whip Show. Take care, guys. what's going on everybody this your man dre aka dre on the wheels and i'm the host of dc's newest hottest podcast yes the 11:30 podcast on youtube go subscribe man tell somebody